2: This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham.
0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the game changers, I promise you're in the right place, as always. Okay, the buzz today in a land far, far away. Oh, what is she talking about? Well, let me get started. What I think of the beauty and the excitement and the promise and the possibilities of IoT, of course, that's the Internet of Things, is doing new things with information from sensors that are nearly ubiquitous. Look it up. That means everywhere. They're in our cars, our homes, our factories. But more important to our discussion today, they're even in remote locations. Think remotely. Think about minds way off. Buried literally somewhere way off in a country you may never have heard of, in a town you may never have heard of. Think about oil rigs offshore. Okay, now I've set the scene. But ingesting and analyzing all of this information from the sensors poses a huge challenge. For example, what if a sensor does its job and detects an oil rig equipment failure before it happens? It's time to notify everybody, but the data has to come in. It has to be synchronized, perhaps with a remote cloud service. There can be a delay. Red flag. You don't want to delay. You have the data. You need to process it and send it to the people who need it pronto, immediately. So, today we're going to explore the challenges and opportunities of gathering data from remote, distant sources. We're going to call that the EDGE, with a capital E, and harnessing it into localized and cloud-based systems so it can get used when and where needed, and that's the beauty and excitement of IoT. I rest my case. Now, let me introduce my wonderful panel. First up, we're welcoming a newcomer to Game Changers Radio. She is Bridget Carlin, if you want to look her up, K-A-R-L-I-N, and she is the Managing Director of the Internet of Things Strategy and Technology Office at Intel Corporation. Very happy to have Intel represented here today. And Bridget has sent me a wonderful quote from Albert Einstein. Yes, this is a real Einstein quote, but anybody scratching their head, Oh, come on, you know Albert Einstein. He was a German born theoretical physicist. He developed the theory of relativity and he had amazing hair. Let's just leave it at that. And here is the quote that Bridget has selected Imagination is more important than knowledge. Bridget Carlin, welcome. How are you today?
1: Well, I am fine. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here, Bonnie.
0: Thank you, Bridget. The pleasure is mutual, and I love this quote. Bridget, a lot of people send me quotes from Einstein, and they are misquotes. This is a real Einstein quote, and it's so uncharacteristic of what we expect of Einstein. So is this one of your favorites, and what are you related to our topic today?
1: Well, yes, you know, this is one of my favorites, and I'll tell you why, Bonnie. Um, When we think of Einstein and relativity, um, and we think of, you know, the crazy hair, it's a great reference, what I like about this is when you think about imagination more important than knowledge and you, you reflect on, you know, so we all go to school and we acquire knowledge, but when we think about imagination, the the reason why this speaks to me is because I look at imagination as it, it sort of gives birth to creativity. And when we think about the Internet of Things and we're here today to talk about IoT this is what I believe, you know, coincides very nicely with the new era that I think we all find ourselves in today with IoT, and that is that imagination—that um, what we can bring to technology, what we can bring to challenges and problems with our businesses, with our environment, with our cities—you know—imagination is what is leading us to innovation. So what I like about this quote is that it very nicely sort of reminds us that, you know, imagination is now the tools of innovation as we go through this new era of technology. And in my opinion, this really is the game changer, which I love how it kind of ties to your theme. And, and so that's sort of, in, in my view, um, kind of the, um, the the thing that gets me excited about what we're doing with IoT.
0: Thank you, Bridget. I really appreciate what you said. And, and you've introduced an interesting element here through you and Channeling Einstein, of course, imagination. It's a human trait, Bridget. It's, hum- it's humanizing the whole concept of technology. And we very often think of the data nerds. You know what I'm talking about. Sitting in a corner or a basement somewhere inventing stuff and not being really human. And when you bring in the concept of imagination and creativity and vision and thinking about things outside the box, you suddenly humanize it. And any
1: comments from you on that? You agree? Yeah, you know, I do agree. And in fact, I would also take that a little um, one step farther, and that is... This notion of, um, you know, the human side of it, what we're also experiencing in this new era of IoT is that we're seeing that customers are choosing experiences over just product, you know, features and functions. We're looking for the experience of the technology, the seamless integration. You mentioned about, you know, data, but, you know, we wear our fitness bands, we have our smartphones, we walk into the home in our car. We are now in, a, in an era where we are expecting this seamless integration of data so that we can get the better experience. So I think it very much ties to that.
0: Thank you so much. And I'm thinking that imagination is on both sides of the coin. The developers, innovators, inventors, producers on one side and the users. What can we use this for? How creative can we be? Great introduction to our topic. And Bridget, we have to do a shout out to your wonderful team at Intel who helped put everything together so you could be here today. So shout out to Kathy and Siobhan and anybody else who's supporting you. And I just wanted to make sure. Great
1: team. Thank you.
0: They know where we know. They know we love them now. Okay, it's official. (laughs) Now let's bring on our second panelist. We have Lalit Kanaran, a man also with a very good sense of humor and great energy. I know that for a fact. He's a vice president of IoT and customer innovation at SAP Labs. And Lalit has sent us an interesting quote from Michael Jordan. Those of you listening may not know that Michael Jordan had a, has a middle name. Jeffrey. Michael Jeffrey Jordan. He's known as MJ, an American former professional basketball player. He's also a businessman and principal owner and chairman of the Charlotte Hornets. He's only 52 and he's done a lot in his life. And here's the quote I can accept failure. Everyone fails at something, but I can't accept not trying. Lalit, welcome.
3: Good morning. Good
0: Happy morning. How are you? Very Happy to evening. have you here too. Okay, Lily, tell me. I can accept failure everyone fails at something, but I can't accept not trying. I love the quote from Michael Jordan. Talk to me.
3: Well, you know, most people don't realize that with Jordan he you know, he missed nine thousand shots in his career, he missed game winning shots and, and he was in the spotlight under pressure and, and didn't produce, but yet I think that in his opinion that's what made him succeed is the pressure of trying and and And, taking those chances, so, as I relate that to the Internet of things, you know i i I can sort of think of uh, Bridget's quote and say, "How do we transform that creativity? Um, how do we transform those ideas into actual deliverables?" And we see that every day in i o t with things like Kickstarter, where people out there are saying, "You know what?" Dare to Dream, let's actually try to make this into a product. Let's ship it. Let's get some funding and let's let's get it out there and, and have a, a great experience in users' hands.
0: Interesting. And and you've also humanized it to another level. I, I almost think that we're not on the internet of things with game changers right now after you and Bridget have spoken. I feel like we're on our other series, Innovating Innovation with Game Changers, because that's what we're really talking about here. So that's a great human lead-in to our topic. Lelly, thank you so much. And I wish I was half as tall as Michael Jeffrey Jordan. What can I tell you? Just very short sitting here at five foot, but we all have our height in different ways. Correct. So Ira Burke, our third panelists. Ira is the sponsor of this series. Ira is VP of Digital Transformation Solutions. I think that's a new title within SAP's HANA Global Center of Excellence. That's a big business card, Ira. And Ira sent us a quote from George Elliott. Now, Anybody who is on the young side may not remember George Eliot. She was a woman, Mary Ann Evans, but her pen name was George Eliot. Eliot with one L and one T. She was an English novelist, a journalist, a translator, and one of the leading writers of the Victorian era. She lived from 1819 to 1880. And here's the quote. When a workman knows the use of his tools, he can make a door as well as a window. Talk about imagination and creativity. Ira Burke, how are you?
4: I'm doing great, Bonnie, and thanks for, uh, thanks for having us again on the show today. Looking forward for a great discussion. The, uh, you know, this quote about uh, about the workman and his tools, it's one of the fascinating things that I find in the IoT topic, that there, um, when we're imagining new customer experiences, and I really love the way Bonnie and, and Lalith have, have talked about that, uh, when we're imagining their experiences, we have to combine – Some things that are very new, right? The the platforms that we can use to analyze data, the way that we gather data, we'll talk more about that a little bit, I'm sure, during the course of today, but also some things that are old and people need to know what's in the environment around them, where information can be gathered, what can be wired in, what can be tapped, and to know the environment where you're operating, to know how you can deliver a great customer experience and assemble that together is where the real challenge, the real creativity comes in. in in IoT. It's one of the things that I find really exciting about the topic.
0: Thank you very much. I appreciate that, Ira. And I have to tell everyone, Ira Burke is the sponsor of this series. Ira, what are we in? Season two now? We're we're closing up on... Yeah, Season 2, and I'm hoping you will come back and renew something for Season 3, because it's always a pleasure to work with you. Uh, Everybody on the panel, you have to know that when we need a third panelist, Ira's always ready to jump in and take his place around the virtual table with his panelists and and contribute. So it's always nice to have you back, Ira. Now, Bridget Carlin, we had a wonderful opening with you, and I'm going to go back and I'm counting on you to give us some imaginative answer, because I'm going to simply ask you, what's in your cup today? What are you drinking right now? Or... What would you like to drink after the show? Or what did you have on New Year's Eve? Talk to me.
1: <laughs> so, a very provocative question. And I have to tell you, Bonnie, um, I am a coffee break classic. Today I'm drinking a cup of hot hazelnut coffee with a little bit of milk. And um, it is one of the things that I, I look forward to every morning. I sort of feel like it's, it's the you know, day of opportunity. It's a fresh start. And today on this, on this radio program, my cup runneth over. So I'm delighted to be drinking my hazelnut coffee.
0: And I can hear you smiling all the way through telling <laughs> oh, me about yeah. that. Is it in a special cup, Bridget? I, I have a sense that you probably have a favorite mug you use or a special china.
1: Anything? You no, know, it's so funny. I have a classic tall white um, china cup that I use every morning. And yes, it keeps it just the right amount and it keeps it nice and hot.
0: I knew that. Well, if you remind me after the show and you send me your snail mail address, I will send you the official Game Changers Radio mug, and it might become must become might become your favorite. We have a few left over in inventory, and I think you're going to love it. So just send me a note after and remind me, and we'll ship one off to you. And I think you will enjoy it. And the next time you come on the show, you can say, "Guess what I'm drinking out of?" Yes, yes, yes. Thank (laughs) you, Bridget. And let's turn to Lalit Kanaran. Lalit, what are you drinking today? Or
3: I've got a nice cup of black coffee here, and, and just because a little doubt crept into my mind this morning, I've got a glass of water, and, and the doubt was that <laughs> I'm already pretty pumped up. I'm not sure I need more. So,
0: <laughs> Okay. I like that little bit of doubt and the idea that you had to have that doubt, and I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Where are you calling from, by the way, well Lalit?
3: I'm in our uh, lab here in Toronto.
0: Okay. Oh, we have a Canada participant today. Good to know. Ira Burke, I I am almost hesitant to ask you what you're drinking because I know you've had some catastrophic issues with your car and a cracked wheel and a tire and you're in between trips back and forth to the garage and you're limping along (laughs) with a spare tire and all that. I hope you're drinking something special because I know you need a, a good pump up literally and figuratively today. So what are you drinking? Yeah.
4: Well, so I think that's going to have to wait. Yeah, I'm so, so I'm calling in today from uh, SAP's U.S. headquarters in Newtown Square, Pennsylvania. And, uh, and w- one of the great things about the office here is the coffee makers. I find, I find the coffee really especially good from the, uh, just from the coffee machines that are in the hallway here. So I was looking forward to bringing one of those great cups of coffee in before I, uh, before I came in to join the show. And you press the button and nothing happens. And you press uh, the button again, and nothing happens.
1: Uh, and then you see uh, a
4: little sign flashing in the corner about some bin that needs to be emptied. And I'm thinking, I have no idea how to do this. <laughs> not not my home coffee machine. So, so, so I have a delicious cup of water, and uh, and maybe something better is going to have to wait until after the show.
0: I certainly hope so. Maybe the garage where you're going. There must be somebody in that gorgeous office. I've been there once. I know what you're talking about. There must be somebody who knows to fix the damn coffee machine, but I digress. Thank you very much. We wish you something better and more interesting afterwards. So we are talking today with a wonderful panel. They're articulate. They're creative. They're engaged in the topic, and we have so much more coming up. We're speaking with Bridget Carlin at Intel Corporation, Lali Kanaran at SAP Labs, and Ira Burke at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after the break. Our topic today, very important, from the edge to the cloud, harnessing remote IoT data. Even if you're not in the tech field, no matter what company you work for, whatever company you're imagining, you're creating, you're dreaming about, wherever you are, this is important. Our world is being linked by sensors everywhere. And this is something either good coffee, coffee table talk, water cooler talk, we used to call it, good cocktail talk, or something your company really, really needs to know about. So listen up. We have a lot more coming up after the break. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app that dial. will be right back. Michael out.
2: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data, sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment, and the tools to understand it and act on it. These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented. Presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers. Presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers.
0: We're back. Thank you very much. We're speaking today with Bridget Carlin. That's K-A-R-L-I-N. You want to look her up? And Bridget has so many interesting spellings, but hers is B-R-I-D-G-E-T. She's with Intel Corporation. We also have Lalit L-A-L-I-T Canaran, just the way it sounds, at SAP Labs, and Ira Burke, B-E-R-K. You know, there's so many ways people spell their names. I think I need to spell them out for people at SAP as well. Now, we're talking about from the edge to the cloud, harnessing remote IoT data. Very important, very promising, but maybe a little scary. So let's get started with Bridget Carlin. I'm going to read a couple of statements here from her notes, and then we will kick into our roundtable. Bridget told me, IoT is projected to be 50 billion devices by the year 2020. Now look at your calendar. It's not that far off. We're already in February 2016 with an estimated global economic impact of $4 to $11 trillion. And she adds, and and some of this is from IMS Research, we are starting to live up to the hype. The result will be nearly 300% more data center traffic. Okay, so let's talk about this. What's the implication as far as remote sensors and what our topic is today? Bridget?
1: Well, I think I think you know this is um, this is a very provocative time, and you're right. When we when we think about the proliferation um, of devices by 2020, it is not that far off. In fact, um, the adoption is happening now. We know that in 2016, it's expected that 5.5 million devices are connecting to the internet daily, and we know that we're spending 2.5 million dollars on IoT hardware every minute. So, Mm. when we think about the hype curve and what we were talking about last year about IoT, is it really happening? Yes, it is. we see evidence that it absolutely is happening. And when you think about the explosion of data, you know, 300%, those 50 billion devices are going to be generating over 40 zettabytes of data. So, what you have here is this explosion of data, um, proliferation of devices, and when we say devices, we're, you know, you mentioned earlier about sensors. We're expecting over 200 billion sensors now to be connected up. So what does this all mean, right? We are seeing that um, data coming from all these different, you know, devices and sensors are creating this enormous amount of data that is, you know, flip it around to being an opportunity for us to understand more about what's happening with our businesses. And the opportunity, I think, here is that as we um, figure out how to collect the data, ingest the data, and analyze the data, some of the things that, you know, you talk about the impact, we are realizing that, you know, not every single piece of data, not every thought needs to necessarily go to the cloud. Maybe there's an opportunity to process and analyze closer to the edge. And as you, I think, rightly pointed out, when we think about the IoT, it's the edge to the network to the cloud. That's Mm -hmm. sort of the the path that the data will uh, flow. And when we think about efficiencies and the point about real-time information, we need to also be thinking about how we um, are able to extract and perform that analysis at the right place at the right time to get the right insights for the right action. So some of that impact of the 300% increase Is going to cause all of us to take a look at where is the best place to do the uh, analysis, um, Mm -hmm. and where is the best place, and um, in terms of the use case that we're looking at, to uh, to drive the data into the cloud. And in many cases, you know, I I think when we look at the different industries, um, all of these are going to these decisions are going to be very much tied to and based on um, the vertical business itself as well as the use case that we're automating.
0: Thank you, Bridget. What comes to mind to me, and if you could just explain this, and of course I'm going to bring in Lalit and Ira in just a second. It sounds like the data has to go places. It has things to do. It has a path. It has to travel. It has to go from point A to point B to C, as many, until it gets to the point where somebody can consume it and say, aha, data just in. We better analyze this. What do we need to do with this? Is this, we're talking about nanoseconds, Bridget? Are we talking about uh, taking a trip from Long Island to New York and having to get on a train for 28 minutes? What What are we talking about in terms of time that, in my opening, I said, it may not be
1: fast enough? Can
0: you put that in perspective? perspective and, and then we'll move around the table.
1: Yeah no, that's a really insightful question because um, these are these are the kinds of questions each business leader needs to think about. What is the outcome you're looking for? what problem are you solving? And while you know many of us get excited about the technology and what it can do, we first need to respect that, you know, what problem are we solving? Technology plays, you know, um, we're a supporting actor, right, in, in in the job of addressing business problems or enabling new opportunities. So those questions about how fast and so on really ties to what is the type of data. Is it, you mentioned about the oil rig. You know, we have, you know, sensors on the oil rig, and if if you have a worker out there they're going to need, you know, real-time um, data in terms of if there is a hazard- hazardous situation um, that they can react to or potentially prevent. So I think it's highly use-case um, dependent. And mm-hmm. just to put that in perspective, so as, as we think about the data coming off sensors for um, a vehicle, right, and we think about collision avoidance, we have mm-hmm. real-time requirements for that sort of thing. Now, yes. if you flip it over to something like in a retail environment, um, near real time um, is probably okay if you're looking to understand where you know a pair of jeans is on a shelf versus is it still in the you know in the changing room or whatever. So I think it's very very um, an important question that the business leaders, when they think about uh, the outcomes that they're looking for, um, those are the kinds of things that you want to evaluate so you can determine your uh, architecture and configuration and the data you know the requirements you have for connectivity.
0: Thank you, and that was a very insightful answer. I appreciate that, Bridget, and let's turn to Lalit. Lalit, a lot of thoughts presented by Bridget. What are your thoughts about business specific, vertical specific, and the time of getting data from the source, the sensor to where it needs to go?
3: No, absolutely. I think it is uh, use case based. We've, we've had some great examples that uh, we've been involved with recently, so I think the car example is a fantastic one, right? we when, it, when lives matter and, and a collision is possible, we can't afford to send that over over the network and wait for some sort of a response, so a lot of processing power is at the edge to deal with that. Um, we did an interesting project uh, recently where we were dealing with crane anti-collision systems, right? So you can imagine, um, you know, the crane is rotating, we're tracking that, the wind speed, there's a rope, you know, length of the rope, weight of the item, workers are walking around underneath and quite often there's other cranes uh, rotating nearby as well. So so to to really calculate all of that and and to avoid collisions we didn't want to take the chance of sending that through some middle east undersea cable off to a data center and and encounter any latency whatsoever. So that one was a great example where we where we put all of the application logic, data handling and the algorithms, some pretty sophisticated al- algorithms right at the edge to deal with that. So I certainly agree that uh, it's use case specific. One of the interesting things you'll also see is that we expect the amount of data coming from sensors, not only do we expect a lot of sensors, but the amount of data coming from sensors going over the internet will eventually surpass the amount of data coming from humans. So just to give you some perspective of how much data that might be.
0: Thank you very much. Ira Burke, love to have you participate. What do you think? What do you see?
4: So so I thought it was really interesting the way you opened up the uh, question talking about nanoseconds and milliseconds or 28 minutes. And depending, again, on the use case and the environment, um, I think we know that all of those are possible. Right, that there are problems that need to be solved in less than a second. And as Salib was saying, right, those, you know, to put the computing power right where it's needed and to answer the question right away is the most important aspect. Um, we've talked about other examples where, uh, the connections only happen, you know, once or twice a day, like in remote mining locations where a sensor can be gathering data all day long, but is only going to have a brief window of opportunity to, uh, transmit and share and receive from anything created over the internet, and so we have those extremes, we have things in the middle, and it's very important to understand the time, um, the bandwidth, how much communication is available, and how best to use it, because it's 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 very easy to fill up all the available communication bandwidth with data, but maybe not the most useful data. We need to be a little bit selective, and we need to answer mm-hmm. questions where we can as close to where they can, as uh, uh, close as they can to where we can address the issue.
1: You know, Thank Ira, you, Ira. Um, I, I think both mm-hmm. you and Lalit um, are bringing up something that's really important, and that is, um, and it's also kind of kicked off, it with the way you asked the question, that when we think about the edge, and you talked about remote um, kinds of data uh, collection, ingestion, and we, and we talked about maybe analyzing the data, we see a trend now. When, um, I think Lalit mentioned, you know, more processing power at the edge. That absolutely is a trend um, underway because of the efficiencies and um, the expense, frankly, of you know sending everything to the cloud. And and some of the stats that are starting to come together is that by 2018, which is not too far away, 40 percent mm-hmm. of the IoT data is going to be stored, processed, and analyzed right there um, at the edge or close to the edge of the network. And what that means is that we need to be thinking about different architectures. And making sure that when we architect, you know, from end-to-end IoT solutions, that we put in place architectures that will support that. So, new things like fog computing that's coming onto the scene, these are the kinds of, um, I think, progress that the industry together is trying to think through so that, you know, we, we make it um, not only seamless but efficient in terms of processing.
0: Thank you very much, Bridget. I was going to ask you to, to round this one out and go around the table. Anybody else have anything to add to what Bridget just interjected? Ira or Lalit? We good?
4: I think that's a fascinating statistic and something really to think about, the 40% of data being at the edge and uh, makes us really rethink what opportunities we have and think in a layered form, What's what's near the edge. What information do we have access to at what stage along that communications pathway is a, uh, is a really important topic for a designer to think about how sensors are coming
3: together, how questions are being answered um, yeah. locally.
1: Go
0: ahead, Lily. Yeah,
3: absolutely. And then I think one of the really interesting ideas here is to, to really make business use of that data at the edge, quite often we'll have to think about bringing some business data from the cloud or from behind the firewall down to that edge so we can enrich the sensor data with the right information to make the decision so so really the communication starts looking very bidirectional
0: okay i want to do some level setting that i probably should have done at the beginning but I wanted to get the statistics and the the number, use cases, the whole concept in from Bridget first. So now I'd like to maybe take a step backward and talk about what is the edge. We've been bandying about the term like it's a person or a thing or a place. You go to your, your AAA and you say, I want to go to the edge and they're going to say, well, I have a good psychiatrist for you. So, Or I have a good movie producer for you. Let's get it on film. And then the GoPro starts. But I digress. So Lalit, I'm looking at your notes from before the show and let's talk about the edge. The edge where IoT things, and things are in quotes, and I want to explore that with you, will connect, communicate, and interact. Then you talk about the intelligent edge, and then you say the edge can handle increasing complexity. So where would I find the edge? Lalit?
3: Well, uh, you know, we, we've got a world now where we can get these uh, computers for $5, right? And they're, they're if you compare them to the size of a U.S. dollar bill, they're, they're, they're smaller than that. right? And They're thin and they're small. And the sensors that we might attach to that are, are well under a dollar. So from a, from a physical perspective, these devices are getting cheaper, smaller. And, and so now you can imagine putting them everywhere. So, so sometimes these devices might be in your doorbell. They might be in your thermostat hanging on the wall. Um, and, and really from a pervasive perspective, just about anything you can imagine will not just have a sensor, but a multitude of sensors. Your, your fitness tracker might have um, biometric sensors plus movement sensors and things of that nature. It might be part of a watch. Um, you know, your smartphone itself is a sensor. I, I don't know if people realize the types of information that a smartphone can throw off as it as you carry it through the world. So... Really, we'll start saying everything is, in fact, a sensor. We, we can now buy stoves and fridges and washing machines that are chock full of sensors. So, so when we look at that, those billions of devices and billions of sensors, uh, they're going to be everywhere. They're going to be woven into every part of our life. Hopefully, it's done in a way that it's you know the experience is what matters. And in some cases, the experience is that it's just there doing its work automatically and we don't have to worry about it.
0: Hmm, interesting. Ira, thoughts?
3: uh so i i
4: think i think that's that's exactly correct and i think that we're going to be finding so many new ways to use information that's, uh, that is already sitting at the edge. Um, I, you know, I, I like to tinker with these things when I can. And so uh, I bought a little device for my car, um, the, the same one that, that cracked its wheel yesterday, but before that happened. Um, the, this little you device, bought the wrong it,
0: device, Ira.
4: Well, I think I, think I did, but, uh, but that's just me. Um, I, I, and this device connects to the onboard computer of the car. And gathers all the data from all the sensors that have been sitting in cars for for years and years, um, and lets me look at it on my phone and so I can see if the uh, you know something simple, like when it 's next to you for maintenance or if there 's any problem that in the car normally it would just pop up the uh, the check engine light, but the onboard computer knows more, and now it can tell me more on on my phone and uh, I think we 're going to find more examples where there are existing sensors sitting at the edge of the network that were certainly never designed to be uh, part, of, uh, part of any Internet. Um, you know, these were just designed for, you know, for the mechanic to plug into your car and see what's happening. Uh, but you can start to weave them together into new models and new paradigms, and and you think about that as an example of edge computing, and what other edge platforms are already sitting out there, just waiting to be connected and 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 harvested and and and, and tied in to produce more information either locally, right, something useful while you're sitting in your car, um, or something more useful if you're managing a fleet of cars or optimizing um, you know traveling routes for salespeople.
1: Ira, we should have connected your phone to that coffee maker this morning. I
4: think we should have. It. I think
1: we should have. It. I don't think Ira's going to ever hear the end of this, Bridget. Next
3: show. <laughs> exactly.
1: There you, you go. Know, I did want to uh, add, because yes. um, Lolita and I were talking about the edge, and um, I would um, maybe take it up a little bit closer, the way the way we sort of define the edge, which I think is a you know, is a really good question architecturally. And we, we know the cloud, so we got the cloud over on one side, and then we think about the edge. But, but what we look at from a, an architectural standpoint is that the network, the edge of the network, is typically where, you know, when you have something like a gateway, a gateway that's going to be the, um, the device that ingests all the different types of disparate data from all these different things, and then normalize it, secure it, and get it into the cloud. And I think, Lalit, as you were talking about the different types of sensors and where you can find them, um, there, you know, as also as I was saying, there are a lot of sensors that exist today. Um, you mentioned that oil rig at the beginning. We know that, that mm-hmm. one, of, um, one of the customers in the oil and, uh, oil and gas industry has something like 30,000 sensors on their oil rig. Right Ooh. Today they have those sensors mm-hmm. you know collecting data, but we also know that only one percent of that data is really being used so to Ira's point, the opportunity that we 're now seeing is that we have the uh, we 're now thinking about how do we share data, how do we collect that data, and share it maybe with other devices at the edge, you know sort of you know south of that gateway, so when we think about motors and um you know, different um wearables, you know, that, you know, connected workers are now wearing wearables while they're, you know, working on the rig or working in the factory. And I think that's what's exciting when you think about let's define what the edge includes. And I also like what um I think Lilith was talking about when when we think about cars, you know, what's interesting, you know, um uh, we have, you know, the smartphone is an IoT device, you know, appliances in the house. Um Cameras. Cameras are uh, probably one of the most robust sensors, you know, because they now can, you know, sense and process data. And then I like to think of the car as probably one of the more um, sophisticated mobile devices, right? The cars and all the things were, you know, mm-hmm. were, they're kind of like a mini data center. So I think when we talk about the edge, I think it's a great question to kind of open up and say, what are we putting in that bucket?
0: Bridget, that's a perfect segue, and thank you for jumping in. I love when you do that because it just keeps it going, and that's what we're all about. Perfect segue to what I want to pick up some notes here from Ira's uh, talking points before the show. Ira says, and this goes to our topic, emergencies can happen at any time, and sensors cannot wait for an internet connection. Now, let me segue to your next point here, Ira. You say there's a tremendous amount of data moving over the internet, and there comes a point where it is not practical to monopolize the available bandwidth with raw sensor data. So I think we're already into this conversation. Who makes the decision what data, as Bridget mentioned, 30,000 sensors in a rig, who decides what data, raw data coming from those sensors is important and isn't important based on use case, based on time of day or time of year, based on what's happening on that rig or in that mind? Who gets to decide that uh, shall we say that, uh, prioritization of sensors so that the bandwidth is used for emergencies and for must-have right now, this multi-milli-milli-nanosecond of time. Ira, thoughts on that?
4: Yeah, so first of all, right, you, it's, it's, it's very much driven by the business use case right? mm-hmm. and by what's best done in, in, in the cloud. And what's best done, right, locally, you know, and certainly anything that, that is, has an instantaneous time dependency, right, it's very important to prioritize to be able to handle locally. But another way to think about it, right, is the, you know, remember that these sensors um, very often have been designed for a different purpose. And the information that you need to know about, right, if you want to, you know, I, I can't even begin to imagine what kinds of questions that an oil and gas company is asking about their oil rig sitting in the middle of the ocean. But they want to know that it's safe. They want to know it's secure. They want to know that it's not under threat from weather. They want to know that there aren't going to be some major geological disturbances or hurricanes or whatever that's going to create a danger for the people that are on the rig or for the environment around the rig. And there may be sensors that are are partway answering some of those questions or gathering information. Um, The key, right, really is to... Analyze to pull together those sensor data to create real information, right? To know, hey, I've got an event that's going to happen over the next 12 hours or over the next 12 seconds and then to handle that event. And so the ideal edge, the ideal gateway is going to be able to say, hey, this is something that I want to store for future reference in the cloud. And if it gets there after waiting a second or two, that's fine. This is something that I want to act on right now and I can, whether it's, you know, sounding the red alarm, or uh, communicating or checking some other local situation, I can do that as well. And so it's not just raw data from saying, you know, on the left corner of, the, uh, of, of this rig, there was a vibration, but to synthesize that with other readings, uh, maybe to combine it even with, you know, with video, with weather, with pressure, with, uh, with the current of the water coming by, who knows, uh, with the age of the rig, with, you know, what, what's its expected useful you know, useful life information that may be coming from the cloud. And using that, to, for a purpose, right? And that synthesis can happen in the cloud. It can also happen locally. And sorting that out means that you're not wasting a lot of time transmitting data that in its raw form is not going to be very useful.
0: Got it. So you have to be intelligent about the intelligence. Bridget or Lalit, any comments? Because I have one more topic I want to introduce before we get to our crystal ball predictions round, which is coming up ooh, in about 11 minutes. So we do have time. Uh, Lalit, any comments on what we've been discussing? Or Bridget, jump in.
1: Yeah, I guess I would just say that this notion of um, more efficient um, analytics and, you know, getting to uh, leveraging all the data that we now have access to, you know, assuming we can get the data off the sensors and share it with other devices and have the um, the right processing power at the edge to um, enable uh, more real-time analytics and insights. I think the other um, trend that I think is worth pointing out, uh, Bonnie, is our... Um, advancements with cellular communication and moving toward LTE or 5G, which is essentially going to help us with um, faster speeds, better coverage at lower power. And I think Mm -hmm. when we think about use cases like the connected car um, or even autonomous functions in an autonomous vehicle, I think these are the kinds of things that together with the ability to Collect and uh, share and analyze the data at the edge in, uh, is um, is um, better enabled by these advancements in the communication technology itself. So I think it's just worth pointing out that part of the um, um, some of the other trends that are happening with the technology are as we think forward, right? They are enabling some of these use cases to be um, you know richer. Um, more real time, you know, and providing maybe, a, you know, I think um, uh, it was also mentioned about being able to share other types of data to have richer richer data sets at the edge as well as in the cloud. So I think that the the the, um, the trend of communication is also helping advance that.
0: Thank you, Bridget. Lalit, any comments? Because I'm ready to go into something we haven't covered yet, but Lalit, I want to hear from you first.
3: Well, just a quick comment. You know, a, a lot of our our Fortune five thousand companies are looking at at Silicon Valley and looking like at companies like Google and saying, "You know what I should be preserving my data right there's there's really no such thing as as data that has no use so so more and more we look at the idea of running a digital enterprise where we store this data you know we may have to look for different cost models for how we store it and where we store it, but nevertheless there's this idea that data is valuable, data from signals like social media, data from signals like that vibration sensor and data from the people and the employees and the equipment. And and we start storing that, and that's where we get into this world of, of machine learning and start being able to really run this digital enterprise and gain some insights that might not have been possible if we looked at any of those things in isolation. And really, I think this is the synthesis that Ira was talking about. You know, any purpose-built sensor probably does its job fairly well, but when you start looking at how you can combine data in new ways, how you can drive machine learning, that, that's where the data in combination really becomes valuable. So so I think all data is, is valuable for, for potential future insight in machine learning.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. And, and what comes to mind for me, looking from the outside in, because the three of you are, are specialists and this is your wheelhouse, I'm thinking maybe one day somebody will say, well, we really didn't need those 30,000 sensors. We really only need 5,000 of them because that's where the key data is coming from that we really want. And I think that's part of the learning process. But let me leave that one on the table. Let's just leave that alone. Very important topic. Bridget, I'm looking back in your notes. I don't think we've covered this one at all. And it's very, very important. You say, as the number of connected devices proliferate, so do potential breach points for cyber criminals. Security is a big concern. And if we're going to scale IoT and realize the great economic opportunity it offers? Is it offering it to the good guys or the bad guys, or a little bit of both? Is the pie big enough to share? Bridget, why don't you take us through this? How bad is it? How dangerous is it?
1: Yeah, well, um, yeah, we can't really have any um, responsible conversation about Internet of Things unless we talk about security and data privacy. And to just you kind of uh, reference everyone quickly, um, we all remember the um, last summer when the Jeep Cherokee was hacked. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's the automaker's nightmare, right? You know, so, you know, hackers coming in through the entertainment system of the vehicle, and now all of a sudden it can take over dashboard functions, steering, brakes, the transmission, you know, all that sort of thing. That's, you know, frightening. Um, and another example in healthcare, right? We remember the um, Anthem Blue Cross uh, breach that happened uh, that impacted something like 80 million consumers, right? So these these are real threats, and and remember, Target stores even you know um, even a little farther back. So yes, security is a fundamental challenge for IoT. It's something that um, all of us, when we think about our technology solutions, we have to be thinking about. You know, where are we? Um, protecting our end-to-end solution. And I, I think one thing I will say, you know, I think Intel actually has a unique opportunity to integrate security at the onset, right right at the chip level. And so while there are a lot of, I think, um, uh, some great security solutions, I think that we each have a responsibility to understand that that's got to be built into the devices, into the sensors right at the beginning, so things like whitelisting and secure boot and, you know, root of trust, all this sort of um, capability is built into the tech- technology at the onset as opposed to an afterthought. And then a little bit about data privacy, that's another, you know, sort of um, scenario that as we... You know, it's so funny. We used to be so worried about, you know, gosh, you know, do we really want to put our information on the Internet and then all of a sudden, you look, and you, you look behind you and how many of us, you know, order products all the time, you know, from mm-hmm. online, you know, our Christmas mm-hmm. presents, birthday you know, all these sort of things. And we put our credit card information and all that sort of thing in and, and there's a convenience factor that emerged that we just sort of do it. Um, and yet we all are, you know, responsible people and we know oh, that maybe that's not the best idea, but we do it anyway. So I think it comes back around to the technology industry. I think we have not only an opportunity but a responsibility to make sure we're integrating security in at these at the onset of these things that are now starting to connect up and into the cloud.
0: Thank you, Bridget. I know Lalit agrees because he sent me some notes about IoT needs to be both smart and secure. Consumers are buying new IoT point solutions based on convenience rather than security. Bridget just mentioned this. Uh, secur- rather than security, interoperability, device life. And on the industrial side, sensors can be installed on machines where we measure useful life in decades. Security is essential, and cost of ownership is a key part of the equation. Lalit, you want to expand us a little bit? We have a few minutes.
3: Sure, we, we really sort of separate the world into two categories, right? There's the Internet of Things and then there's the Internet of Really Important Things. And the really important things, companies have spent millions of dollars rolling these, you know, caterpillar trucks and oil rigs and things of that nature out there. So, so at that point we're, we're building things to, to last for 10 plus years. We're making them robust. We can, you know, really look at integrating security. Whereas when a consumer goes out there and buys a, a Fitbit or something for $100, they're not saying, let me buy a more secure cell phone, a more secure Fitbit, a more secure um, home thermostat for $200. I'm going to buy the one that strikes a chord with me in terms of the overall experience. And so consumers have already seeded a little bit of that security for convenience. And, and one thing I will say... Um, There's lots of ways to do security that come at the cost of convenience. I'm an old-school mobile guy, and I I remember when we tried to put, you know, really complicated passwords on folks trying to log in with Palm devices, and and usability was pretty darn low. You know, and and over time, we've solved some of those issues. but, But I think from a consumer perspective, I think, you know, consumers forget sometimes that when we talk about the Internet of Things, their Facebook profile is already throwing out all kinds of signals, that can be tracked, you know. And so, consumers, I think, need to be more aware of what's possible. I think we we need to certainly build in more of that security at the chipset level. But, but certainly, I do hope that some of that security that that really the enterprises care about will start trickling down to that that consumer world as well. Because, you know, frankly, the cats the, the cats out of the bag in terms of endpoint security for consumers. There's a lot of data out there already. It's already vulnerable. We already see people posting things on Facebook about, hey, there's a wedding coming up and then boom, oh, their, their house geez. gets burglarized, right? So yes. so I think we just need to, to understand that there's two different worlds there and, and one can certainly be much more
2: secure.
0: I agree. I, what people are putting, grown-ups are putting on Facebook today, pictures day by day of their grandchildren, where they go and what they look like and what their favorite foods are. It just, it scares the, you know what, out of me, Lalit. The, the concept that, yes, let's just tell the world where we are, what we're doing, who's in our family, who we love. It's just, it just scares me. That's So I'm going to leave it at that. Ira Burke, is all of this sure. scaring you? What about this? Uh, I, I love what Lalit said. There's the Internet of Things versus the Internet of Really Important Things. And I just tweeted that and I, I, uh, by the way, a shout out, Bridget, somebody at Intel, Tim Intel, that's his handle, is tweeting like crazy and we love it. So I'm including him in all of my tweets, and we're gonna do a shout out to Tim Intel at the end. So Tim, whoever you are, very much appreciated. Bridget, Thank do you, you know too. Tim? I'm wonderful. Oh, fantastic. His tweets are amazing. So that's what we love. We love a Twitter party. So I'm sorry, Ira Burke, thoughts on <laughs> privacy security? Just two minutes.
4: Well, yeah. So it's very hard. I think Lily's point is 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 very important. That uh, you know, security becomes inconvenient. People don't use it. Uh, sometimes they're not very smart about what they post or the risks that they take, and uh, and that opens us up for all kinds of trouble. I think uh, one of the responsibilities that that well, those of us who are designing these systems will really have to think about is how do we integrate simpler, more powerful security and privacy mechanisms into what we're doing. I, I love the idea that Bridget was talking about of building in security capabilities at the chip level, just make it more a part of the design right from the beginning of what we do uh, so that it's embedded at every step along the way so it's a more natural part of the development cycle, and so we have a better chance to uh, to protect things either from, from hackers or just from silliness, right, from, from sharing things that shouldn't be shared. Silliness, the go I
2: mean,
4: that's just it's a polite way of saying it. But, but how much easier is it now to open your iPhone with a thumbprint with a than it was to remember and, and type in and get a password right? right? These things can get better and easier over time. And uh, the more of that that we can do, the more we can build in the security capabilities and take a little bit of the burden of security off of the um, end users uh, so that they can get back to doing the, uh, the business or the, uh, even the entertainment that they're trying to uh, achieve, I think, is going to be better for everyone.
1: You know, I you put... brought up a really Go good point, um, to yep. point, if I may, just to interject. Yep. The, there is a reality that we do have a lot of things that are already in the market that maybe weren't necessarily designed with you know, security integrated in them, and we're starting to connect them up and and bring them into these um, end-to-end IoT solutions. And I think that's also an opportunity for um, uh, things like an IoT gateway that can be a point that um, can still enable your end-to-end IoT solution to work, and you can, you know, insert that gateway into um, the flow of the data, as as we talked about earlier, where if the, Thing that you really want the data from didn't necessarily have security in it. You can ingest the data into a gateway and secure it at that point, and then trust attestation and securing the closed loop path back to the cloud for that data can now be possible. So I think that you know it's not all doom and gloom, if you will. Right, we do have opportunities to interject um, if it wasn't built at the onset. You know, at the at the time that the thing you know that we're collecting data from was. Um, built, then you do have opportunities to insert insert security and that's important as well.
0: Thank you, Bridget. Guess what? We are almost out of time. I've got four minutes left to close the show, but we have to have the crystal ball predictions from each of you. So instead of giving you each 60 seconds, I'm going to say give me your top three sentences. I know that's tough because we don't think in terms of sentences, but three sentences on what your top predictions will be, and I'm just going to say let's look ahead to the year 2020. It's not that far away anymore. Bridget Carlin at Intel, you've been an absolutely wonderful panelist. I sincerely hope you'll come back on any one of our Game Change your show, you're welcome at any time. Bridget, take a look, and your crystal ball, look out right now, 2020, what do you predict for IoT from the edge to the cloud, remote data? Talk to me, three sentences, go.
1: Okay, well, I think as we look forward to 2020, I think we're moving from a smart and connected world to a software-defined and autonomous world, where we will have new opportunities um, using machine learning, computer vision, um, different types of recognition, motion analysis, uh, deep learning, and we're gonna find that we will be able to, um, remotely change what a thing does, um, what kind of data it collects, what kind of, um, learning it can perform, and what kind of actions it can take. So I think we're laying the groundwork today, and you're gonna find that more, um, field programmable, software defined capabilities and more autonomous functions um, autonomous driving is just the beginning.
0: Thank you. Well put. Lelly Kenneron, I give you the same three sentences. Go. Well,
3: I think uh, one big thing will be consumers and, and just the world at large will realize what a golden age we're living in, right? the The possibilities are just amazing in terms of what happens if you can have a self-driving car? What happens if you can start having energy coming from multiple directions? And what happens if your home is smart? Um, so I, I think people will have a, a much greater appreciation of all the conveniences that are driving from this. Um, from an enterprise perspective, I think there's already that appreciation of an opportunity now for disruption where we can really transform our businesses from where we are today are we are we a mining company that's moving rocks or are we a digital enterprise? And then uh, this one I heard recently from uh, one of our executives, Tanya, which is You know, maybe in 2020 we'll be watching Uber drivers protest the self-driving car.
0: My friends who are holding almost worthless taxi medallions would love that. Trust me, they are up in arms. So let's go. Ira Burke, three sentences and I mean it. We're really out of time. What's your prediction, Ira?
4: Well, well, so number one is it's not hard to predict. The Uber drivers already are protesting in New York City because they don't like the rates they're getting paid. So that's already coming. The the, the self-driving car is just going to be an afterthought. Uh, But look, the the computing environment is becoming richer and richer. We're going to be able to take capabilities that are stuck in one place and deploy them to the place where they're needed, all right? and we're going to be able to bring the information to the place where it can be consumed, where it provides value. The Internet of Things won't be just about sensors, but it'll be about capabilities that can be deployed where they're needed, and that is going to really change the game for IoT.
0: Thank you very much. Ira Burke, I have to hand it to you. You put together an extraordinary panel. I found this interesting, upbeat, just I learned so much from the three of you, so thank you, Bridget Carlin at Intel. Thank you, Lolly Canaran at SAP Labs. And thank you, Ira Burke. Quick shout out, the winner of the Twitter Surprise! The most tweets during the past 57 minutes was Tim at Intel. Thank you, Tim. I am in your debt, and I have retweeted everything I could find. Ira Burke, second, and Karen Geraldo, 24K Geraldo with Deloitte in Canada. Thank you. And somebody named Homezilla Org UK also tweeted about the show. Bless you. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I want to say thank you very much to everyone. And let's see, this is the end of our broadcast week, but we'll be back with all new series. Next week, new episodes. We have the future of the future with Game Changers, the future of Cars with Game Changers, Extended supply chain of the future with game changers debuts next Tuesday, believe it or not. We've got digital industries changing the game, business network innovation with game changers, financial excellence with game changers. What can I say? We're just changing the game. So here's my call to action Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Shout out to Michael at Business and the Business Channel team. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. All for now. Bye bye.
2: Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.